0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wills Women and Wealth podcast, where we lead you holistically from overwhelmed to empowered through estate planning. I'm Elsa W. Smith, your Maryland estate planning attorney and the host of the Wills Women and Wealth podcast. This is a podcast for women who value their health, their wealth, and the legacies they are creating Each episode will bring you interviews in the areas of finance, law, mental and physical health, and so much more. I'll also bring you educational uh, episodes that answer your questions regarding wills and estate planning topics. This is a community, so I want you to engage. Do you have a question that you'd like addressed on the podcast? Be sure to let us know in the comments or reach out to us on uh, social media. At the end of the podcast, uh, please support us by leaving a five-star review. This will help us get our podcast in front of so many more people. So thank you in advance for your support. This and all future episodes of the podcast will be available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, and and Facebook.com. Now, on with the podcast. Have you ever um first of all do you own a business and do you know what your business is worth you know are you in a are you are you in a place right now where you're trying to decide what the next steps are in your business um whether you want to sell it whether you want to Um, leave it to your kids. You know, There's a lot to consider and you certainly don't want to do it at the last minute. Today's guest is going to help us walk through all of that. He is none other than Robert Carter. He is the director of Valet Advisors. That's a company specializing in business valuation, transaction advisory services, and forensic accounting for law firms, corporate counsel, governmental agencies, public and private entities, and individuals. And let me tell you a bit about Robert before I bring him on today. Robert is a director of Forensic and Valuation Services at Valid Advisors, and has been performing valuation services for over 15 years. He provides expert opinions regarding business valuations, performs forensic accounting uh, and fraud investigations and serves as a financial expert witness in legal matters. Additionally, he performs succession planning and value growth advisory services. He has held influential positions within his area of expertise as the former president of the Maryland DC chapter of the National Association of Certified Valuators and Analysts. He's the former chair of NACVA NACVA, their standards board. He's a current member of the NACVA's executive advisory board, as well as previously holding a position on the advisory council for the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and a prior chairman of the Maryland Association of CPAs, Forensic and Valuation Services Committee. In addition, (laughs) (laughs) To these professional organizations, he currently sits on the University of Baltimore's Accounting Advisory Board. He obtained an undergraduate business administration degree from Stevenson University and a master's degree from the University of Baltimore. Throughout his professional career, he has uh, also obtained certifications such as the uh, Certified Public Accountant. Certified valuation analyst, certified fraud examiner, certified exit planning advisor, and he's received certification in financial forensics. Uh, in financial forensics, uh, he has written numerous scholarly articles uh, published by the CPA uh, Practice Advisor, the Value Examiner, the Daily Record, Maryland Family Law Update and the University of Baltimore Law Review. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome Robert Carter to the Wills Women and Wealth podcast. Hi, Robert. How are you?
1: I am doing well. How about you?
0: Wonderful. And welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure uh, to have you here. And I'm really excited um, to get into just everything um, that you do. I mean, anyone just looking at all your credentials know that you are you are quite the expert. And um, I really wanna do a, a deeper dive into what Valet uh, does. So before I do that, however, I always like my audience to get to know a little bit about you before we get into the business of things. So um, tell us a bit more about like where you're from And, uh, you know, a bit about your journey to Maryland. If you're not from this area, if you are, you know, tell us a bit about, you know, how you learned or how you discovered that this was going to be your area of choice.
1: So I had a a weird situation (laughs) that happened for me as I was trying to get into this field. Uh, But uh, I am from Maryland. Uh, I grew up in the Carroll County area originally and then my parents decided that they wanted to move down to Florida. Uh, So I actually was in the process of moving down to Florida when Hurricane Charlie hit, destroyed our neighborhood down in Florida, ended up moving back up here uh, for a place to live temporarily. Uh, But while I was up here, I decided I was going to go to Stevenson University, which is an amazing college, very happy with the decision I made. Uh, I went there for business administration and I was the typical student that would say, I want to get into business, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> so I went for my business administration master, or sorry, undergraduate degree and decided the best way to figure out what I like and don't like is a bunch of internships. And so I tried in a couple of different areas and ultimately found one at Hurstback and Company and it was in their business valuation and forensic county practice. Um, absolutely loved it and switched my major around to be able to match up with what they do and It was an area i didn't know existed at the time it was pretty new to some extent i think i'm dating myself a little bit here but the whole enron worldcom situation was when this really took off and people started saying well we should really train people in this area and that's when the college program started and that was a couple years basically after i was going through college so i lucked out in some respect falling into this field that i loved but had no clue there was an opportunity
0: wow wow yeah so Tell us about the um, the the types of businesses that you serve. And during show prep, I shared with you that um, I know and have had as clients um, business owners to small, you know, small and medium sized businesses and all kinds of. Um, you know, specialties, whether they're in the the health professions, um, whether they're in the service or in the food industry. So tell us a bit about the kinds of businesses that you serve.
1: Right, and it's one of those things where I like to say that I'm industry agnostic in that sense, Uh, but I do quite a few valuations and assist clients in the healthcare, retail, uh, construction, government contracting spaces um, a lot of restaurants, just naturally, this type of work comes up. Um, so I deal with a lot of areas, but I've seen more of that type of valuation over the years, just naturally because of the firms I've been a part of and just the needs uh, for business valuation. Um, in terms of the sizes, I deal with small companies, mid sized as well as large. Um, I tend not to deal with public companies, uh, but also at one point worked for a large national company where some of those things were things we dealt with. But I tend to specialize more in that small, mid-size to smaller side of large companies as well.
0: Now, where uh, where exactly are you located? And um, do, you, you, do you serve folks uh, in a certain area of Maryland or do you serve all of Maryland?
1: So we serve all of Maryland as well as Pennsylvania, DC, Virginia, uh, but our office locations are, I'm in the Timonium office, but we also have Annapolis and DC offices.
0: Speaking, since you're in the Annapolis office, I'm gonna, uh, I, I know this, podcast is going to be on for per, in perpetuity, but this happens to be the uh, Navy Commissioning Week. So you and I are both are, are going to witness not only the traffic, but the uh, the Blue Angels flybys or flyovers um, as well. Um, always a good time in, in Annapolis. But um, what are some of the uh, issues um, that you've witnessed when you are hired to provide a valuation for a business?
1: So these are, there's a lot of common issues for valuations, and it's not really the owner's fault. It's hard running a small business to do everything yourself. Uh, You don't have teams of people helping out. So there are commonly issues with inaccurate financial statements. Uh, Maybe you have a bookkeeper or accountant that helps you out. They give you some adjusting journal entries that you forget to make to your QuickBooks file at the end of the year, Hmm. or lack of documentation. You just didn't keep everything you need, you have the financial statement, maybe not a little backup for it. Uh, Sometimes, you know, forecasting, you don't have a team of people, finance people that are doing forecast every single day. Uh, So if we're trying to figure out a projection for your business, sometimes we I have to work with the business owner to try and create that projection versus just someone having something they can provide to me. Those are all things that tend to happen, you know, in the small businesses, it's just natural. Uh, But honestly, the biggest area is this concept called normalizations. Hmm. And what a normalization and evaluation is, is we're adjusting your company to meet what we expected of a basically non-practicing passive business owner and what you would see in the industry um, if you weren't running the business yourself. So for those people that occasionally put their, you know, personal Comcast bill or mortgage payments, whatever things that just get run through the business, Mm For better or worse, they're natural things that tend to happen with small businesses, Uh, but those are the things we typically remove from the financial statements of a company as part of a valuation. So a lot of the time in small business valuations is trying to identify what are those personal items from the business owner that we need to make some sort of adjustment for.
0: And what are the types of uh, items that you request from a business? Um, You know, what returns and what have you, uh, what what are the types of things you request?
1: Right, we, we try not to be you know too overwhelming for a business owner. I realize there's a lot going on. Uh, but you mentioned it, uh, tax returns are a big part, uh, financial statements if they're provided, even if sometimes it's a QuickBooks file, uh, if we can work with those things. Generally want depreciation schedules, especially if it's an asset heavy type of business. Uh, one of the other really important areas is a buy-sell agreement. If for some reason you do have multiple owners, it's just good to know if there's some sort of buyout formula already in place that we need to consider. Uh, and those are kind of the, the main areas that we're going to ask about. Uh, the only other thing that may come up is, are there any significant transactions that happened in the last couple of years? So if you just bought the company from somebody a year ago, but want to know what that is, because that may have an impact on the value today. Uh, now, sometimes things between family members, we, don't, we kind of ignore. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the IRS allows you to ignore because sometimes they're not considered to be arm's length transactions. And maybe you give a discount to a family member, or there wasn't something that would was done at fair market value um, so we look into it but not always reliable for those reasons that it might be a gift or something relevant to whatever the value may have been
0: yeah how do you um how do you help um small to, to medium businesses um you know why you know why would they look to a company like yours what's the benefit
1: so i always think it's worthwhile just to have an idea of what the value of your company is just as a baseline um uh, But from that point, I'd like to say, well, what can you do to improve the value of your business? When we're doing analysis, we're looking at a couple things. One is what is your comparison to your industry? Are you doing better or worse than those other companies? But you're also looking at, well, what are the key value drivers of your business? What can we then say, these are the areas that if you improve, it's gonna increase the value of your company over time. So we can help you determine what are those value drivers, but also what was that financial analysis we did? Did we look at and say, your company has too much cash on hand or your receivables are coming in 60 days after everybody else in the industry? What are those things that you should change based on what the industry is showing? And those are things that are helpful to give you that type of background because you can make some good business decisions based on what we're already doing as part of evaluation. The other thing that is really helpful and a lot of business owners think, well, why do I need evaluation? Other than just to know what the value of your company is. Sometimes it's necessary for lenders. They're going to want to see what a value might be before they give you a loan, uh, especially if there's someone buying in. The other side is if you're getting insurance policy, a lot of the, the insurance companies will want to say, well, what's the value of your company? So if I'm giving you a business owner policy, it's not in excess of what the value of your company is. So there are areas where just doing the regular work that we would do could have multiple impacts on a small business owner.
0: Robert, let me just mention another uh, another point that I know your your company helps with, but and this is something that hits home for um, a lot of people who are watching. Is, you know, if you're a business owner and you're going through a divorce, I mean, how mm-hmm. important is it? <clears throat> pardon me to 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 get evaluation on your business uh, during during that uh, difficult stage. Could you speak to that briefly?
1: It is very important uh, for a lot of reasons, and it, it depends on talking about when you're in the value divorce situation already. Uh, there are elements of determining what the value of your assets are. So you could have a marital split. Uh, there's also, at least in Maryland, there is a rule that essentially it's the marital appreciation on a business that becomes a marital asset if you had a business before you're, you got married in the first place. Uh, so a lot of times what we're doing is determining what was the value of the business at the date of marriage and then what is the date of, uh, value as a date of uh, divorce and figuring out what's that appreciation on the business at that point in time. So for somebody who had significant assets beforehand, understanding that it may not be something where you have to split all of it, um, not that you shouldn't come up with a you know, fair, equitable distribution between the parties, but sometimes someone has something they've built over their lifetime and then had got married late. And mm-hmm. there's something to the fact that you need to determine what that value may have been uh, that you brought to the marriage. Uh, but that's just something that comes into play quite, quite often. In a divorce setting uh, and also just so you can determine what is a fair settlement uh, if you know what the business number is to begin with
0: um, what are some of the mistakes um, we were talking about small to medium business now i want to shift the focus to you know larger businesses what are some of the mistakes that you see larger businesses making
1: mm-hmm. so one of the biggest ones that i tend to see and it gets to be kind of an ego thing is that the, the large businesses think they're larger than they are. And I'm not talking about the public companies, but the large companies that are 20, 30, 40, you know, million dollars in revenue that are just went through kind of a growth spurt and now think they're one of those large public companies and they're trying to treat themselves in the way those companies do spending more than they should be spending. Uh, That tends to be one of the big issues uh, because they grow faster than they're ready for. Uh, And a lot of times it's also a matter of chasing that top line. Somebody wants to be able to go out and say, well, I have a hundred million dollar business or I have a $10 million business, but they may be less profitable. They may be better off if they stayed small. And sometimes it's just looking into how does your company operate? Where's the value for you as an owner? And what's kind of that sweet spot? So those are all really important things. And then to the extent they are going to grow, I see this a lot with small businesses, but businesses of all sizes, that they're either over or under leveraged. Some people will take way too much debt out. Then there's others that are just completely afraid of debt. And they really need to look at what the industry is doing and what their company can afford and whether or not they should be using more debt to finance their growth or using less potentially in the situation. Uh, but that's just something I tend to see pretty frequently that can hold a business back.
0: Yeah. Um, particularly, you know, with the businesses who are uh, under under leveraged, um, you know, they're, they're afraid to spend, you know, they want to, you know, have money aside for a, a rainy day or, you know, they know that there are um, dry, uh, dry months uh, within a business um, and they're just trying to plan for that. Um, but you're saying that they could go a little bit too far in that direction um, in they, being they, under leverage.
1: They definitely could. Uh, and that's where it goes to what I was saying earlier. When we do that financial analysis, that'll tell us whether your business should be at a certain debt level and that's what's typically done for a business in your industry. Now, obviously, a business owner knows their business better than pretty much anybody else, and they may know if there's those, those rough patches up ahead, uh, but it doesn't mean that they couldn't get a line of credit for when those situations arise, uh, or maybe still fund through financing certain growth opportunities. Uh, but just information, you know, information is power, and just knowing that information, you can make the decision as the business owner how to deal with it.
0: You know, and as a business owner, if we're talking about uh, you know, growth, if you're looking to, you know, buy a building, if you're, you know, looking, looking to expand, I mean, that would be, I mean, obviously before you make the decision to do that, but, you know, before then bringing a team like Valet on um, to, to kind of walk you through and, and make sure that you're on, on solid footing before you purchase that large business, uh, that large building um, you know, as, as you grow, that's another, that's a benefit of, of having you guys on board, right?
1: It is. It really is helpful just to have a handle on what is your business doing? Where does it stand today? Um, uh, so you can take those next steps. And even what you were saying, to if it is a business, that's also important <laughs> understand if you're able to take on something like that, but definitely a building or whatever expansion opportunities, uh, just make sure you know where you stand at this point in time before you pick a major step
0: how are business valuations relevant during probate proceedings? And you and I talked about this. Probate is one of the areas that that I focus on, but how are business valuations relevant during those proceedings?
1: So it's a little different than obviously a traditional estate tax valuation that goes to the IRS. Uh, But for the courts and for the attorneys and everybody involved, they need to know what the value of the business asset may be so that the assets of the estate can be split between the beneficiaries. Um, Also helps so you know, what's the solvency? Is everything tied up in the business? Is there cash available? What can be distributed and how is that distributed? Uh, But the first step, even in that process, is you need to know what the value is. Uh, You know, just as simple as saying, we have a million dollars of cash, marketable securities, other things over here, and there's this business, no idea what it's worth. <laughs> and having somebody like myself, Alan, yeah, somebody in this industry can help you say, okay, I'm going to do the analysis. I can tell you this business is worth 2 million or 500,000 or whatever it may be, but allows you to make those decisions so you can handle the estate properly.
0: How, um, I know this will vary, but how long um, does it typically take to value a business and what factors into that?
1: There are a couple of areas, uh, generally you're gonna hear someone say, you know, three, four five weeks, some shops are busier than others. Some people are saying two months these days. <laughs> but you'll have something usually around a month time frame. Uh, but a lot of that's going to be dependent on when the expert receives the documents they need. Uh, going to you know, issues, mistakes and valuations that I've had over the years. We'll be somewhere where I'll say I, I need three weeks, four weeks from the time I get documents. Somebody will take four weeks to get me the documents and say, "Are you gonna have it done tomorrow?" <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not done tomorrow. No. I will have it done as soon as possible. <laughs> but <laughs> usually, that's that's the kind of the turnaround time you're gonna see.
0: Um, we've we've touched on on uh, this question uh, earlier on in our conversation, but um, what are Um, What are some of the other values, uh, the other benefits, I should say, in uh, having your business valued, determining the value of your business? We talked about, you know, informed decision making, um, you know, knowing, as you said, knowing where you stand. um, But what are some of the other benefits?
1: So one of them may be attracting investors or even lenders. I know we talked about that a little bit, but Mm -hmm. your company may be in a growth stage and need somebody to buy in. it's somebody from the outside Uh, maybe it's a management employee but you need to have a value so you can determine what that purchase price might be Uh, there might also be disputes and obviously nobody hopes to be in litigation but there are plenty of times where i'm brought in for either a shareholder dispute or a breach of contract case that results in a company losing value Hmm. and so we're figuring out what the value of the business was what it is now because of the situation that arose and determining that lost business value that could be recovered in the litigation matter. Uh, So those are all really key areas. Uh, Succession planning in general is really important. And again, this may be management team, it may be children, maybe third party, but figuring, well, how do you wanna get out of the business? Is it something where I'm going to sell it over 10 years? I'm gonna sell 10% a year? Or is it something where you're gonna sell 5%, 5%, 5% and then at the end of that 10 year period, you're gonna sell the 50%. Uh, But to do that, you need to know what is it worth? And also, can that person that's buying it afford it? So you need to put it into bite-sized chunks, you need to figure out how do you structure those types of transactions, especially if you're doing some internal versus a third-party sale. Um, So having evaluation work and somebody that does this on a regular basis can help you talk through those specific issues.
0: You talked um, uh, um, um, a second ago about um, family, Um, and I wanna focus in on, on that. Are there unique concerns as related to, um, family businesses?
1: Many, (laughs) um, (laughs) just naturally any, anything with family, there's always, concerns. (laughs) but but one of the, the biggest things, and I see this all the time is that business owners are so invested in their business and they're so proud of what they've done with their business. Mm -hmm. They forget to ask their children if they're interested in running the business. They just assume they're going to. And a lot of times they're disappointed when they hear that children want nothing to do with the business. Uh, so one of the first things they really need to figure out is, is there actually a next generation that wants to run it? And then to the extent they do want to run it, are they qualified to run it? Uh, most businesses that go to the second or third generation end up failing because those next generation of individuals are not properly trained. And they don't know what went into building the business when it wasn't doing well in those first couple of years. They've just seen a successful business for 10 or 20 years and say, well, it's the cash cow. I can do whatever I want with it and don't understand everything that goes into running the business. Uh, So make sure that they're aware of how the business should be run, what the constraints are, where it came from. Those are all really important things on the family side. Uh, But also realizing that from the other side, don't be afraid to invest. And I've seen a lot of disputes between the children that want to take over and the parents who have run the business for years, where the children have some great ideas for where they want to go. And the parents say well we've never done that before so we don't really want to look into it and that causes some issues and sometimes causes the children to walk away and say i'm, I'm not getting into this business because you're not going to let me run it the way that i want to run it i it's can imagine run that run that's
0: on. i i can imagine that that's um a, a sore point uh, particularly when it comes to using technology to make the business more efficient um yeah
1: definitely and that's definitely a big area and it depends on the industry and what the company is doing but mm-hmm. It can definitely be a big area, and sometimes it's it is a great idea by the children. Sometimes it's a terrible idea, uh, but it's it's really talking through those ideas because sometimes it's something the business owners already tried and just failed for whatever reason. But the children are not aware of that. But having open communication, which in any family is just important, regardless of business, it's it's communication is kind of the key there. Uh, but there's like you said, there's always potential issues when families and businesses are involved, but as long as they can work through it and be reasonable, you know, most of those things can be resolved.
0: I just had a conversation yesterday with a professional who, um, is, is a business owner. And, um, I flat out asked her, you know, cause she wants her, uh, w- one of her children to take over the business. And I flat out asked her, I'm like, does that child want to take over the business um, and as you said you know are they equipped you know you come in you uh, establish the business and you have all these credentials that it took you you know 20 30 years to you know to, to earn um, is the next generation are they are going are they going to be able to carry on your legacy um, are they are they trained um so you know those are those are some hard uh, hard questions that at, particularly in the family context that one that one has to ask themselves another thing and i raised this with you um during during show prep is um it, it's not a, a problem exclusive to family business but i see it happen uh, quite a bit is you know, not putting things in writing when we're, you know, you're selling something to, it's not even, not even just to a family member, but to a close friend, you're selling, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have tractors or whatever it's, if it's a construction business and you're selling them to someone, you don't bother putting things in writing. It's just a handshake and a transfer of money. Um, (laughs) <laughs> or if it's a franchise and you're and you're selling it to someone i mean those are the types of things that need to be put in writing and you need to seek the services of a, of, a, of a professional to make sure it's properly documented but what are some of the things that you've seen um over the years
1: so i see that pretty regularly and unfortunately when i see it it tends to be because it's on the litigation side of things hmm. uh, it's because something went wrong Uh, Because usually if I saw it before something happens, I'm going to tell the client, make sure you get this taken care of so you don't have this problem. Uh, But I've definitely seen clients that have come through and said, well, I agreed to do this with this person. This person agreed to that. And then down the road, it never happened. Uh, Where it's very common is where someone talks to a family member or imagine employee and says, I'm going to have you get paid a little bit less in comp for a couple of years, but you're getting ownership in the company each year. But it's a handshake deal. Then down the road, we're to say, "Well, what's my ownership in the company, and what's my profit share?" Like, "Oh, you're not an owner of the company. We never agreed to that." And then there's just now a litigation case over, you know, what the value of the company was, what interest did they own? If they could have put it in writing, that would have just resolved a lot of that that issue. Uh, but you're right in terms of you know, sale of, of fixed assets, you know, whatever it may be, it, you see it all the time. But it's it's amazing how little is documented. You know, for a lot of the small businesses, and I understand everybody's busy, and there's a lot of things that go into that, but it's just an area that unfortunately turns into problems.
0: Uh, Robert, uh, one of the things that I uh, I did my research, I did visit your website to understand uh, the 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 breadth of everything that Valid Advisors does, and I you certainly um, assist uh, uh, attorneys like myself. Um, when we have a client um, that needs estate planning um, assistance. Um, could you speak briefly to how your company is a, a valued uh, partner uh, in that process?
1: So what we do a lot of times in the estate planning side of things, and this is obviously before, you know the estate <laughs> is needed to be filed. Uh, so it's just getting ready for the years leading up to it. But a lot of times there's an issue of gifting and you're trying to move things out of your state And you're allowed to, based on IRS guidelines and the gifting limitations, you know, get some of, whether it's business value or other assets out of your your estate. And we'll value the companies, we'll value the other assets that may be there. Sometimes they're just holding companies uh, for other assets, whether it's real estate, marketable securities, and determining what's the best way to move that from one person to the other. Uh, So we're commonly brought into that side of things. Uh, One of the things that comes up is a something called a valuation discount. And when you're valuing a company, if you're transferring something less than 100% interest, there's generally a discount off of that pro rata share. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: for example, 10% of $100,000, it would be a a $10,000 gift. But because of discounts, that may only count as an $8,000 gift or $7,000 gift, depending on how it's calculated. So Working with somebody like us allows you to determine what can you actually transfer that gets you up to that limitation, um, but still within the law. Uh, but you're not stuck with the entire amount at the time you know, when you pass, uh, because you don't end up having to pay a state tax for something you could have transferred you know, at an earlier date.
0: Another area um, of, of interest to me, particularly in today's uh, climate um, is uh, Fraud investigations—you assist in that area as well. Um, could you speak to that briefly?
1: Sure. And fraud investigations, unfortunately, happen. Uh, most businesses have some level of fraud,
0: hmm. and
1: I don't want to scare everybody on this on the podcast here.
0: <laughs> I'm like, no.
1: <laughs> but, but if you were looking at the ACFE's report to the nations, they'll tell you like 80, 90 percent of all businesses have some level of fraud. Hmm. Um, and most frauds go for about a year before they're detected. And most are, you know, about a $100,000 or more of loss. You know, and
0: can and you, you, before sorry. we go on, because that's that's really going to resonate with a lot of my business owners who are watching or uh, listening to to this podcast. What does that look like? Is that your, is it your bookkeeper? Is it someone who has signing authority on like checks and it's like a trickle over time?
1: It can be. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's pretty significant. Um, It really depends on the type of business and the size of the business you're dealing with. It may be Mm -hmm. someone stealing inventory. It could be Mm -hmm. somebody that is uh, writing checks to themselves. It it also could be somebody that just has general authority. Uh, So sometimes financial statement fraud is something you're going to run into. Mm -hmm. And it may be something where you have a CEO because you're a passive owner or a CFO. And they're getting a bonus based on some of the metrics the company's hit. And they try to fudge the numbers a little bit, so that might cause some issues. Uh, but it could be a number of things. Usually, it is some sort of you know trickle over time, and it ramps up when they realize they're not being caught. They'll do something once or twice, see if anything happens. Something they can then explain away as a mistake if they get caught, and then they realize they don't get caught, and then six months, year, multiple years down the road, you know, then you're dealing with lots of money. I, I had one with with a controller, and she basically started like that, and. It was just a couple thousand dollars here and there, just a couple checks that she was writing to herself, then started doing fake invoices from vendors. um, And then eventually she got to the point where she was writing some checks, having the CFO sign off on it, but she used erasable ink and then changed it to her name. Um, Found out that the, the bank had made a mistake and for dual authorization or for ACHs, didn't put the dual authorization on. So she was able to send them to herself and you know, we found it was over an eight year period. She had stolen over a million dollars. Um, and originally it came to our attention from the business because of a tip uh, where this lady was going to the bank to deposit a check and the teller at the bank recognized her as somebody who had stolen from their PTA and called the company and said, Hey, did you mean to write this check to this lady? They said, no, we didn't. Found about $10,000 of checks that she had written to herself, called us. And that's what we ended up finding out it was closer to a million dollars over that period of time. Wow, but those things definitely happen. Uh, we get pretty involved from the insurance recovery side, but also the criminal trial and the civil trial if it goes that route.
0: Since that's such a, so pervasive, it's such an issue. Sadly, how can um, business owners try to get ahead of that? What I mean, what are some tips that you can you could suggest?
1: So internal controls is incredibly important. Uh, and that's as simply as segregation of duties. And I know it's hard with small business. You tend to have one bookkeeper, or one person running everything. But if you can have multiple people that are doing things, someone who's taking in the money is not the person that's depositing the money. Someone who is responsible for recording uh, the checks is not the same person that's writing the checks because it's easier when they're doing all the functions to make fake entries. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you can't do any of that, for whatever situation you can't hire enough people, you can't do all that and you're too busy, at a bare minimum, open up your own bank statements. I've seen too many cases that have come up where it could have been called if the business owner was just looking at their own bank statements versus saying, I'm too busy, I'm gonna let the controller or bookkeeper take care of my bank statements. Then they start pulling out the copies of the canceled checks so you never know who the checks are being written to or they're falsifying the bank statements because you weren't getting them sealed directly from the bank. So just something as simple as that can make a huge difference. I've had a couple of cases where they were over half million dollars of, of fraud that they would have caught within a month had they been looking at their bank statements.
0: Wow! Wow! Um, what are we have talked about so many different areas, and we probably could easily go on for for another hour because uh, this is really interesting. Not only as an estate planner, as a business owner, um, just as a person who's just you know looking to create a legacy, safeguard it, and make sure that I have a legacy, you know, a (laughs) legacy to to pass on. Um, This is interesting on so many levels. What um, tips can you offer business owners listening or seeing um, this podcast?
1: So beyond the the fraud issue, and again, I don't want to scare anybody, (laughs) but definitely make sure you're at least keeping an eye out for those things, because obviously the people you trust the most usually are the ones that are stealing from you because you trust them and you give them that that ability to do so. Uh, but for those of you that you know, have that in place, you're comfortable and you're looking to grow your business, make sure you start thinking about your exit. And a lot of business owners, I'll tell them, think about it from day one, know where you want to go, make a plan uh, and follow that plan over time. And then as you're getting closer to that point of an exit, really readdress it three to five years out. People like myself, tax advisors, wealth managers, everybody involved can help you as long as you give them that three to five year window to get ready to sell your business. I've had too many situations where people come up to me after they sold it and say, hey, can you help me out now? And I can't do anything after the business is sold. Um, But if you have three to five years out, we can work with you on how to grow the value of your company, how to determine what those normalizing adjustments are, what are the buyers looking for? uh, What type of buyer do you want? are, Are you looking at A third-party buyer, you're looking at a management buyout, your children, whatever the situation you're looking to go into, but we can help you with that process with a few years, you know, to plan. Um, So I think that's really the most important thing is just give yourself time. I know it's rush, rush, rush as a business owner, but take a little bit of time, think about what you're doing, think about what you want, and then work with a couple of advisors to get yourself there.
0: Robert, um, what are... uh just some some takeaways um, that the audience should have from, from this information-rich conversation that we've had over the last now 40, almost 40 minutes.
1: So I think it's really important for a business owner to know where you stand in terms of your business value. And not just saying that because I'm a business valuation person, but it's really helpful to know what that number is. Uh, most business owners have about 80% of their net worth wrapped up in their business. So just from your own financial planning standpoint know what that company value is so you know down the road when you're ready to sell it what do you actually need to get out of your business Um, that just makes a big difference when you at least know some idea of what your value may be Uh, another thing is figure out how you want to run your business is this a business that you're looking to grow and then sell is it a lifestyle business you're just making a living and you're happy and you're taking as much time off as you want nothing wrong with that but know what it is (laughs) and Operate it the way you know it is. I see some people that say, I want to operate it this way, but then they do something completely different. So mm-hmm. make sure you figure out what you want to do with your business and kind of focus on it that way. Uh, and then the other really important thing that I would really focus on for a business owner, when you're looking at that exit down the road, how important is a legacy and what does that mean to you in the sense of, if I'm going to sell a business, do I want to keep my culture intact? Do I want the business to be the same way I ran it for years? Giving it to your kids or selling to your management team probably is your best bet. Will you get the most money for that? Maybe not, but you're gonna have a legacy. You're gonna keep those same employees People are gonna be taken care of uh, versus saying, I just want as much money as possible out of this thing. I don't care, don't care about the legacy. You're gonna sell to a third party or a private equity fund, whatever's out there. There's ways to approach it, but determine what's important to you as the business owner. Because a lot of us, we really care about our businesses and we want it to grow. And we want it to stand for years, even after we're not there anymore. Um, and if that's the case, again, having an advisor or somebody can help you figure out what's the best way to keep that intact we, is probably something you should look into.
0: Robert, you have educated, informed, and I hope, um, uh, I believe, empowered all of us with the knowledge and information um, about what business, you know, uh, valuations are, why they're so important. In the context, uh, the context in which they become important, um, and so much more. Um, so, business owners out there, listen: this company is is local and they're, uh and they're accessible. So, to that point, Robert, how can people get in contact with you?
1: So, feel free to send me an email or give me a call. Uh, my email is rcarter at validadvisors.com uh, or call, if you call our, our main number, don't uh, be able to reach me or any of the other advisors here. We are always happy to help.
0: Thank you so much. And I've put the uh, I've put your website uh, on the on the screen. They're validadvisors um, The firm's number and contact information is all on the website. Um, in case you didn't get that email, and of course, you can always replay the episode. <laughs> <laughs> to get to get that information, you're also uh, you also have a presence on LinkedIn. I understand.
1: I do. Yes.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Robert Carter, everyone. Robert, thank you so much for being such a fantastic uh, guest on the show. Uh, thank you for sharing your your expertise and really teaching all of us um, how we can be better business owners. Um, so. Thank you again and have a wonderful afternoon. It's been a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Everyone, Robert Carter of Valid Advisors, um, fantastic guest um, and provided us with such valuable, uh, valuable information. And I hope that you also noticed how important it is to have a team of professionals Assisting you, whether you are a business owner, whether uh, you're thinking about estate planning, or both, and I say this repeatedly, you know, it is imperative for you to have a team and have a holistic approach to your estate planning, to creating your legacy. And Robert's firm, Valid Advisors, is just another example of those professionals that you need to have in your orbit assisting you, educating you, walking alongside you um, as your business grows, as you accumulate more assets um, and you're, you're thinking about your stay planning. It's been a fantastic episode. I want to thank each of you for joining me today on this episode of the Wills Women and Wealth podcast if you have estate planning and probate needs in the state of Maryland and the District of Columbia, I want to invite you to book a free 15 minute call with a member of our team. There's absolutely no obligation. We'd be happy uh, to help you walk through, establish an estate plan if you don't have one already, or if you're on the other end, if you're in going through or in the middle of probate, um, we'd love to you know, have a discussion with you and see how our office can assist. <laughs> Thank you. And as a reminder, this episode is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much all over social media if you connect with us. My name is Elsa W. Smith, your Maryland estate planning and probate attorney. Thanking you again for watching this episode of the Wills, Women, and Wealth podcast. Have a great day.